This week on Rotten or Righteous, we make the statement. Okay. Let's do this. Woo! Yeah, woo. Octopus. Swimming along in the ocean. Puss. That'd be the intro. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, everybody, all together. Welcome back to Rotten or Righteous, the podcast that feels a little more psychologically dismembered every week. With me today, if you need a fact about an octopus, blah, 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 Luke Taylor. <laughs> I don't <laughs> Along with Luke, we have the human equivalent of a brittle starfish, Scott Judge. I'm kind of similar to Patrick. And Patrick's me, a sea star. Yeah. And me, well, I love to wrap kelp tightly around me when no one's watching. Zach Geiler. This week, we did watch the 2021 Netflix documentary My Octopus Teacher, inspired by the fact that, for some reason, for the past 43 weeks that we've been doing this show, 44 weeks now, uh, Luke would randomly bust out an octopus fact. And what will surprise you, as it surprised me as we go through this synopsis, is, well, the majority of Luke's octopus facts were actually facts. Very yes. accurate. But we are taken under the waves of a South African kelp jungle, where we see, for the first time, the titular octopus swimming around. Then we are introduced to the doughy protagonist, Craig Foster, as he swims with and kisses said octopus. And a voiceover tries to convince us that octopus and humans have a lot in common. Okay, two things straight out of the gate we need to discuss, and this first thing we need to discuss is, is uh, uh, Foster's appearance. Um... <laughs> He decides to not wear a wetsuit because, to quote him, in order to experience nature, you can't have that barrier between you and, and nature. Uh, and, and, and number two, he does wear one barrier. He wears a tiny wetsuit over his head. So, he... he, he <laughs> it's so stupid. He just has this, like, <laughs> this wetsuit... Ski mask on, and for some oh. reason, throughout the 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 documentary, we get these like selfie shots of Foster's eyes and his goggles. And here's the thing about goggles: I understand they're cool. I've gone snorkeling a couple of times; they help you see underwater. But nobody looks at somebody's face in goggles and then go, "You know what? They look real intelligent. I'm glad they did that." See, we're what, 35 seconds into this already? And I got to be honest with you. I've lost my faith in mankind, in the ocean, in water, in marine <laughs> biology, in Luke. And I just, I am crying. I honestly thought, I'll just go ahead and stick needles in my eye. It will be better. But listeners, please understand something that we've spoken about off the air. Scott hates this because... You can learn something from it. It is educational, and if there's one thing Scott hates more than shirtless, hooded swimmers, it's education. And it's so, <laughs> my dear friends, let me tell can we you, there's can I just bring this up? Learned. I just want to bring this sure. up now, so we don't have to deal with it anymore. Um, the most off-putting thing about Foster is, I think, in my opinion, his back. Have you ever? Did you notice those scenes where you swim in and you're looking down on him, and he's swimming around? He has his back looks like a sharpe. <laughs> What's a sharpe? 
He has more wrinkles oh, and folds sure, sure in his go. back than I have ever seen in my life. Like, I feel real concerned for him. Like, there's something wrong with that person's Did back. that bother you worse than his voice? I mean, his voice was all right. I, I think that oh. is, I could listen to his voice at like, like a go-to-sleep tape. Like, trying to lull me into some sleep. Hello there. Welcome to South, Af- South Africa. I swam with yeah. some octopus today, and it was lovely. I ran a cheese grater over my ears, hoping it would improve it. <laughs> it was not that bad. Oh, it's horrible. Luke, do you have any opi- or, uh, initial opinions on uh, old Craig? So, um, you know, at this point, I'm enjoying the movie. And, <laughs> what? Uh, you know, okay, they're a little, they wax a little poetic about the ocean, but... Um, I'm 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 liking it at this point. Yeah, I mean shirtless Craig, I could have done with gone with a full wetsuit. And I too wondered about the, <laughs> I, I too wondered about the hooded the hood over his ears. Like that's I, all I wanted to know about was okay. I understand you want to be a free diver. You don't want to scuba dive. You want to snorkel. But why? What what's up with the hood, man? What's up with the hood? Is it keep water out his ears? You can put those little wax plugs in there. I suppose you could make the case that it makes him more streamlined because it's like free divers are always trying to get more streamlined so they can cut through the water quicker. There's nothing and streamlined so about that the, man's back. Well, the you know, the kelp could get caught in your hair. Maybe he did it for that reason. Not mm. sure. But uh, yeah, a shirt would have been good. <laughs> kelp caught in his hair. I'd be more worried about a school of fish hiding in his back wrinkles. I did not notice the back wrinkles. You need to go back and watch it again. I was watching the ocean. I was watching. Back, I was watching <laughs> little little baby back wrinkle. You know, oh. this is this is like the first time I've really wanted to have like the actual the actual star of the show to do an interview with. I wish we had him on the show. He's busy. He's probably busy filming something else now. He's busy. He is not. He's probably in a romantic tryst with a sne- sea snail. I mean, you gotta. <laughs> he ain't yeah, they, sh- they showed that water at the beginning. I said, "There's no way he's going snorkeling in that water. He's gonna die." Yeah, then, I know. Then he... <laughs> and then he's like, and then he goes, "I didn't snorkel in the stormy water, but I found this nice tide pool right beside it. That's where I went." They had to set it up like that, though, because uh, it had to look dramatic. Because they did have to spend, like, 15 minutes just setting up the scene of this movie and describing what cold water felt like. He's like, oh, the water is so cold. It's so cold. But then you get used to it, and then you want some cold water. I love cold water now. You used to only drink tepid water, but now I go for the cold. <laughs> I'm feeling so irritated right now. I just... <laughs> And then we learn oh. a little bit about the childhood of Foster. He grew up on the tip of South Africa at a place called the Cape of Storms. And, you know, when you live in a place called the Cape of Storms, you think to yourself, I should probably build a house on the ocean, which is exactly what his parents did. His childhood home was a bungalow on the shore, which Foster tells us was often flooded with waves that crashed into it. Which may explain why Foster is the way he is. I don't know if there's such a thing as chronic mildew poisoning, or if chronic mildew poisoning poisons the mind, but Foster does make a strong case for it either way. That's a legitimate question right there. My basement flooded once, and it was the most annoying thing in the world. Why in the world would I want to live in a place where at any moment a giant wave could just come in and blow my living room doors down and get everything wet? He said it was his, this was his bungalow. So this is like his extra house. His parents are clearly rich. Oh, does mildew exposure cause brain damage? It's a great question. I'm going to say yes. So yeah, Foster grew up at this place, diving in tide pools of uh, the Cape Storm, and he liked the ocean, but he had to move away from the ocean and become a nature documentarian. Poor guy. (laughs) 20 years later, he's filming in the Kalahari, when he realizes that indigenous trackers are more in tune with nature than he is. 
No, duh. That's like me looking, like going to the play Tecumseh and going, wow, those guys are much more in touch with nature than I am. Yep, they sure are. They live it. <clears throat> See, he saw those guys, and all they had on was a loincloth. And so he was like, well, if I'm going to go swimming in here, you know, I can't wear very many clothes if I'm really going to be like them. And that, those were his idols. So that explains why the back wrinkles. Hey, Luke, let's get serious about this episode here for just a, just a little bit, this documentary. Oh, okay. What? What? Uh, Hold on a second, Luke. I just want to preface what Scott's going to say. This is totally going to be worth it. Go ahead, Scott. <laughs> 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 what uh, What exactly are some of the things that you would do if you had eight arms? If I had eight arms, yeah. I'd probably climb up a bunch of junk that I can't climb up with two. Um. I'd probably crochet sweaters. They, can you crochet with more than two hands? I would find out. You'd need more than one hook. I'd give a lot of hugs. I bet an eight-arm hug would feel real nice. Except your mouth would be like up against the person if you were an octopus and you wrapped no, eight arms around it. No, them. no, no. I think I'm, I'm picturing more like a spider person. A spider person. I feel like I'd rather be hugged by an octopus than a spider. Well, uh, of course. Okay, anyways. 20 years later, he's filming in the Kalahari when he realizes these indigenous trackers are more in tune with nature than he is. And then he wants us to sympathize with him for a while. Poor guy. I feel so bad for him. He has to travel to exotic locations and film animals for a living. Oh, Foster, how do you do it? How do you do it, buddy? I feel so bad. So Foster, who was a husband and a father, was stressed out, guys. He had to work long hours in nature, filming beautiful animals, and then he had to edit them for documentaries, and he was just, oh, he was so stressed. Poor little Foster. In other words, he had a job, and he had a cool job. Better job than most people have. I feel so bad for this guy. I, I don't know how he made it. I don't know how he made it. And so he decides... To quit his job and go for a swim in the ocean. And he's saying this Maybe like... Maybe he works remote. But he was like... He, he, the way he came across was saying like it was such a sacrifice for him. No. No, Mr. Foster. Uh, to live on the coast of any place and to be able to just stop doing what you're doing and go for a little swim for, for the rest of your life means that you were wealthy. You were privileged enough to be able to do this. I don't feel bad for you. Does anybody else find the word bungalow <laughs> really funny? No, just you. <laughs> How can you not laugh at bungalow? Because I'm 30 if you're years faith, old. If you're, if you're faithful to Jesus, then he'll materially bless you. That's what I heard. Right. And yeah. then he'll make you up, wealthy. All right, so <laughs> Foster just... Even though he has a wife and a child to care for, he just quits his lucrative job. And his job is going out and filming jungle cats. He has the coolest job in the world. I don't feel bad for him. I think there was a divorce in this whole uh, thing because he doesn't... See, they don't they don't share all the details, but he doesn't wear a wedding ring in the show. But he well, has of course son, not, obviously. because if he, that that octopus wouldn't come near him if he knew he was married. <laughs> that might be a good point right there. He takes it off before he goes diving. So Foster begins his new life in the kelp forest, becoming, as he puts it, an amphibious creature. In other words, the dude wants to become a frog. But as he is swimming, he realizes that he wants to film all that he's seen underwater. And to Foster's credit, he does capture some awesome footage of the ocean. There's some beautiful things I saw in this in this documentary. Uh, and it, it's really cool, just the stuff. Like, I wish, as I was watching this, I wish David or, or Craig Foster wasn't in it. And there was just some old stuffy British guy narrating what was going on. And they just showed the clips from the ocean. It would have been awesome. But no, because we have this weird story... In the background, it does kind of take this documentary off the rails a little bit. But uh, so Foster's out there taking pictures of the of the ocean and slowly becoming a frog when he sees a pile of shells that looks weird to him. Turns out it's an octopus hiding under them. And the octopus jumps out and grabs a fish for dinner and swims away. 
So immediately after seeing that, the Frogman decides that uh, he feels Dave or, or, or Craig Foster feels a lot in this movie. He has a lot of feelings. Mm-hmm. Every five minutes, he's like, "I, I feel this octopus wants to hold my hand." How do you how do you feel that? How 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 do you look at an octopus and go, "Yep, that octopus wants to wants to touch me"? Because he has chronic mildew poisoning. That's true. <laughs> he's trying. He's trying to get in touch with nature. Well, they're just getting touch in touch with nature and a felony, and he blurs that line a little bit. Um, I feel like if you came to Guam, Zach, you would be out here every day walking to the ocean with your camera in a speedo, and then you know, every after a couple hours, you'd come back up and you'd tell me stories about how you had relationships with the fish. I can see that. I can't. So I'm glad you can. You have to. Yeah, it's because you haven't. You have to. You have to come see the fish. Then you'll know that you want to be a part of them. Uh, so a frogman decides that he feels the octopus wants to be his friend, and so he says that he's going to visit the octopus every day for over a year. This man goes out and visits his octopus every day. He has a wife and child, and yet he spends every day with an octopus. We watch as a sea creature becomes acclimated to Foster's camera. And eventually, the octopus becomes acclimated to Foster himself. And then we learn a few things about the octopus. For example, they can be playful. And they like putting their suckers on camera lenses. And while we're watching this octopus play with the camera, which again is fascinating to watch... We are also introduced to the antagonist of our story, the Pajama Shark, who are the octopus's natural predator. We then watch as Foster and the octopus grow closer. Eventually, the octopus reaches out and holds Foster's hand. Personally, I think this animal wants to eat this frogman. But the frogman assumes that this is proof that the octopus really wants to be friends. And I guess in the end, Foster is right, because soon the octopus comes out of its den whenever she sees him. Foster then tells us some of the things that he witnessed. And it's really actually cool. We see this octopus's fascinating ability to camouflage. For example, not only does it change its color to match its environment and match it well, but it can change its skin from spiky to smooth depending on what part of the environment they're sitting on. And they can even turn into a punk rocker by growing little horns on its head. It's pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. I enjoyed this entire uh, uh, thing. It was fascinating to watch. And we also are told that the octopus sometimes walks around on two legs, like an old lady in a dress, <laughs> as, as, as Foster put it. And it's pretty funny to watch. I enjoyed that. And he just keeps commenting that the octopus has this amazing ability to deceive, and they're intelligent enough to disguise themselves to the point that if you were to show me a picture of the ocean and said uh, there was an octopus in there, and I didn't watch the octopus like I did the documentary disguise itself, I would never be able to point it out in a million years. It truly is a fascinating creature. Mm-hmm. Scott, how did you feel about this? Did you enjoy was, watching the I, octopus? I did, I did. I did like. I did enjoy this to kind of see it blend in and and uh, as much as as much as I have and I am and I will make fun of this movie. It is fascinating to see a human being kind of get that close to uh, to an octopus and have the octopus come to him and and. Uh, I've never seen an octopus change color. But I have seen uh, like a there's like flounder here or something, and they'll go onto a rock and then they'll change to uh, match the color of the rock. I saw it happen one time. It was incredible. I could not even see this fish because wow. he was swimming along and he was one color. And then as soon as he like figured out which rock he wanted to land on, he changed and he like completely disappeared. Early on in their relationship, Foster does make some mistakes. One day he was swimming around with then the octopus was following him, but then Foster dropped his camera lens, which scared the octopus, and she swam away. And Foster is visibly heartbroken that he lost or because he thought that he lost his octopus once and for all. So for the next few days, Foster tracks down this octopus, and this movie turns into a true crime documentary with like 
like true crime music playing in the background, like detective music, as he is he is uh, uh, learning about signs that octopus leave behind, and then there's like this map that he draws that's superimposed over this footage of him looking at different octopus leavings, and he's he's tacking up pictures of octopus on a cork board, and he's stringing strings from one tack to another tack, and it's just it's real intense. I hope he catches it. And, during this scene, let's not forget that he also tickles a crab. Yeah, during this scene, he straight up tickles a crab. I did not see that. He's swimming down, and he sticks his finger in the sand, he goes, and the crab just runs away, like, come on, man. (laughs) (laughs) Crabs are little boogers. And it's Have you guys ever been close to an animal like, like he is with this octopus? And I know that there's this reciprocal thing. I mean, it, to me, it gets weird, but I mean, I with a dog t- or a cat. Luke had a tapeworm he named. <laughs> you know, we grew up with a, like in the woods behind our, with our, behind our house. And then we'd sometimes come across like wild animals and try to like be friends with them. And so like when he like dropped his camera lens and the thing ran away because it got scared, you, I, I totally related because you're like, oh no, is it going to come back now? Or is it now afraid of me forever? Don't and forever. Uh, yeah, he tickles this crab. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then he learns, as he says, to think like an octopus. And he starts to notice shells, and he shines a flashlight in some underwater caves, and he finds the remnants of the octopus's latest kills. He's closing in, and then, whew, there she is. He found this precious octopus that he loves. And more than that, though, I will say that the octopus is really excited to see him. I mean, she does seem to be visibly happy. I don't know. You can't. Mm-hmm. Octopus don't really have mouths, but I imagine she was smiling. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they have mouths. You just don't see them. Foster says that this octopus is quote inviting him into her octopus world. It's just creepy. Uh, but then the octopus just covers his entire hand. So David gives it a ride to the surface so he could breathe because the man refuses to put on a scuba tank because that tank wouldn't allow him to experience nature, which is kind of dumb. If you want to spend all your time with an octopus, Mr. Foster, find a way to breathe underwater. I feel like you don't feel very you don't feel very organic. When you're scuba diving, I don't say this because I know. I say this because like there's a bunch of people around here that are always like, "Oh, I free dive because it's I'm at one with nature." But at this moment, I, I think this uh, octopus ride that he gives is it, to me. This is when the documentary gets weird. Oh, just now? Yeah, I, I was okay with everything up to this point because as soon as he gives this octopus a ride on his hand, he then says. It was very difficult to imagine at first that she was getting anything out of the relationship. And I go, uh-oh, he's calling it a relationship. It was a relationship. No. No, it wasn't. Do, do you have a relationship with your dog? Yeah, but my dog is different. <laughs> For one, I can stay in the same room with it for an extended period of time without having to leave to, you know, survive. Just because other people's relationships are different doesn't mean you have to hate on them, Zach. Calm down, hippie. Okay. Calm down, hippie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's be honest. How many times do you ever hear anybody go, the relationship that my dog and I have, or the relationship that my cat and I have. That's that's the (laughs) weird. Really? No, that's the weird thing. People call their dogs their children all the time. Yeah, but they don't. No, when you say relationship, it's inherently creepy. (laughs) I don't know why. It's just about their animals. People say it about their animals all the time. No, I they don't. Look, I hear what you're saying, but have you ever heard somebody say? The relationship that my the word relationship, not dog have. mom or dog dad or fur baby or rainbow bridge or whatever thing. Have you heard them say I, I have a relationship? I don't know, probably, but I can't recall it off the top of my head. Yeah, you can't because they don't. 
you know you what? just said you had a relationship with your dog. No, I have a relationship in the sense that I feed it, and because I feed it, it tolerates me. He isn't even he isn't even talking about it in the same sense. He says the real. I know because he's talking like, romantic for him. For <laughs> for him, he's he's getting his. Uh, he, you know, his curiosity is being fulfilled. This sounds really strange. His curiosity is being fulfilled in observing and filming this octopus. And he's like, well, what is this octopus interest in me? Because he's like, I'm not sure that an animal can have the same, the curiosity. Although I think that he wishes that the relationship could have went on farther. Oh, uh, that, you know, trust me, he <laughs> went out, he went out and bought four engagement rings. <laughs> Because you only put a regate ring on one finger, so you'd have to do half of an, oct- an octopus. Okay. Um, it's creepy. Yeah, so he's calling it a relationship. And then it turns out that the octopus, as Luke has alluded to in a previous segment where he talks about octopus facts, uh, that the octopus was just curious. But Foster, there's this word again, feels that the octopus is getting some strange level of octopus joy. (laughs) Then, Foster says, the boundaries between her and I dissolve, and I think I should probably stop watching this. (laughs) Then after saying Uh. that these boundaries are dissolving, Foster and the octopus... And I tried to think of another word to describe what I was watching unfold on the television. But Foster and the Octopus cuddle. They do. (laughs) There's no other word for it. The Octopus is like on his sternum nuzzling his neck. And he he was like, his reaction to that, on a serious note, it bothered me. It was weird. I mean, he was just... This is an underwater know. dog with it's four more not, legs. No, we kids. Octopus are not underwater dogs. There are several injuries that happen because people uh, interact with octopus. Just because one fruity McGroody over here. Have you ever seen those pictures <laughs> of people that had octopus attack them and the bruises those suckers left on their arms? No. Octopus attack... Octopus attacks woman in face while posing for photo. Right. YouTube, ABC 13 Houston. About to watch this. What about this one? Octopus bites can cause bleeding and swelling in people, but only the venom of the blue-ringed octopus, also known as the Hapalaclina lunulata, is also or is known to be deadly to humans. I feel like all of these There's an entire wicked There's an entire wicked no, there's an entire Wikipedia article called cephalopod attacks. All, All right. of these attacks I'm seeing are because uh, people have been coming pro- to them. They're, they're being provoked. Yeah, exactly. The boundaries between them were dissolved. Hey, I'm, I'm going to exactly. sum all this up, and I'm going to do it in the King James Version because Zach likes it so much. Leviticus 18.23. Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Can we at least say that Foster's a little bit in the realm of confusion? Maybe a little. So more than just uh, cuddling with this octopus, Foster admits that every waking thought becomes focused on this octopus. And not even his own, and and he doesn't just stop with his waking thoughts. No, he starts to dream about the octopus, and then he watches the octopus sleep and starts to ask the octopus questions like, do you dream, Mr. Octopus? This man is in his 50s with a wife and child. I went to see the documentary The Other Side of a woman who is slowly losing her husband to an octopus. That'd be a lot better than this, actually. That would be fascinating. It would be. <laughs> At this point, I was enjoying the movie. Were you really? Well, that's. But yeah. you have some weird feelings towards octopus. Apparently, Luke, you have been stimulated to octopus-like joy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm telling you, that's a line from this. I'm. I'm telling you too. That's a slippery slope, man. You don't want to. You don't want to start thinking like an octopus. Thing. Bad things can happen. 
But uh, Foster is falling in love with this animal. His words, not mine. And he starts doing research about her. And he learns that she's a common octopus. Her scientific name is Octopus Vulgaris. Because even the octopus's scientific name knew that this was a little weird and vulgar. Two-thirds... That's her scientific name or her middle name? uh, uh, Two-thirds of her cognition is in her arms. She has 2,000 suckers that think independently. And her intelligence is on the same level as a cat, dog, or lower primate. Also, they only live about one year. That's sad. Yeah, it is sad that these because they're fascinating creatures. I'm not gonna lie, they're cool, but I'm I think the relationship with this dude's a little odd. But soon Foster realizes that he is the first to witness some of the octopus's behaviors. And uh, he also learns that octopus are nocturnal creatures. So on day 104 of his octolationship, Foster goes on a night swim. And I hated this part of this movie because this is a personal thing. I find whale songs to be profoundly disturbing. Like, I can't listen to them. I, I dislike them. They creep me out. I hate every single moment that I have to listen to them. So when this movie started to play humpback whales going... In the background, I got a little sad and a little uncomfortable. I hate that you have so much trouble getting over some of your high school girlfriends. <laughs> I just feel like Zach's not one with nature, so he can't understand. He doesn't like the whales. I just find their noises creepy. I don't like them. Uh, but then... That's the noise they give off before they go devour a, di- a giant squid three miles under the water. That's fine. That's great. I'm glad that they have noises. I just don't like them. Okay, so anyways, we're watching this octopus hunting at night, and she's in the shallow waters because it's harder for the nocturnal sharks to get her. And she's hunting, and we get to see this really fascinating footage of her just lightning-fast reflexes, and she's just plucking fish out of her surroundings and just eating it however an octopus eats. That's never really uh, discussed. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of cool. But then on day 125, something sad happens. Foster says uh, that he sometimes, when he's swimming with his octopus friend, wants to scare the sharks away, but doesn't want to interfere with the natural order of things. And then we see a pajama shark following the octopus's scent. And all Foster does is watch. And then the shark just chomps off one of the tentacles. And Foster is almost in tears retelling this story. Oh, he's tore up. Okay, here's the difference between an octopus and a dog right here. If my dog's about to be eaten by a shark, I intervene. (laughs) You would scare the shark out of him. I mean, we're not talking about him killing the shark. All he was going to do was, like, wave his arms around and the shark would swim away. But instead, this cold-hearted, creepy little octopus lover just sits back and watches as his friend gets its leg chomped off. If this octopus is as smart as you say it is and you don't intervene, that makes you an immoral creep. (laughs) Hey, he was scared to death. It was either his life or his love. No, it wasn't. Have you seen the pajama sharks that he shot? They were like the size of of a catfish. Yeah, they can be big, but I'm pretty sure I can take it. Oh, um, Challenge accepted. You know, I agree. I would have intervened as well. But this is this must be like the uh, the true sign of a hardened nature documentarist. Like every time I saw like a baby zebra getting attacked in the wild by a lion, like I would do something about it. But if you're a real documentarist, you just watch it happen. No, but that's the difference. If I'm a if I'm shooting a a nature documentary on zebras and I see a lion come up keep in mind that neither none of those zebras have come up and like held my hand and cuddled with me and had good zebra time that's the difference if I if I have no connection with that zebra go ahead lion munch away but that's like saying that's like saying if my kid's playing in the middle of the street I'm not allowed to pull them off because I'd get in the way of nature you should just film Foster then watches the injured octopus limp back to her den. She's very injured. 
And Foster was just so scared that he'd never see his octopus again. And then we learn a lot about Foster and just how much of a not good person he is. He's real selfish. Because he says, after watching his octopus get her arm ripped off, I felt very vulnerable. As if what happened to her happened to me in some strange way. Can you imagine going to the hospital uh, of a member who maybe, you know, lost his leg somehow and going, look, man, I'm feeling real vulnerable right now. (laughs) I mean, it's just... And then you you hop out of the room. You don't go up to, like, the World War II vet that lost his eye and just go, man... I gotta tell you, looking at you, appreciate your sacrifice, but I feel real bad about myself right now. (laughs) And then he says again something that, this guy's weird. He's just a weird, weird dude. Because he's like, I felt like I was going through psychological dismemberment. What is that? What is that like? (laughs) I can't even I can't even imagine what psychological dismemberment is. Is that like having a phantom pain that you hear about amputees having? Like like their leg will itch even when their leg's gone, but you have an imagined leg? Like you have you have four imagined tentacles and one of them got ripped off and that's your psychological dismemberment? Now you only have three imagined Let tentacles instead of four? Let me throw this term out for you. Unhealthy attachment. But how attached can you be to a thing if you're not willing to intervene? Did you, Luke, did you, on a serious note, did you get any of this watching it? Or was it just, I mean, did you feel a little creeped out and wondering what exactly is going on with this relationship with this guy and the octopus? I would have to say that I thought it was weird that he didn't save his friend. I would have saved my friend. But other than that, no. Okay. I mean, yes, you could interpret the language that way, but it's like if you just give it the benefit of the doubt, I feel like it's You know fine. what? No, it's like interpreting English. It's not a misinterpretation if he's speaking those things directly at you. What? Listen, this guy, all I will say, and then I'll be done with this part of the conversation, Craig Foster really loves nature. (laughs) You're right. Take that as you will. So Foster goes back to the octopus den the next day, and he sees that his octopus is alive but weak. And then, so much for not interfering with nature, he decides to just start murdering different clams and things and shoving it in her den for her. So she has something to eat. And I'm thinking, that's real nice that you're feeding your hurt friend, but maybe, maybe, Mr. Foster, would have been better if you scared the sharks off. Yeah, I mean, how do we not know that those, those what do you shove in there? Crabs? Clams? I don't know. How do we not know that all those thought that, really, that even though he ignored all of them, that they thought he was their friend, too? Right. And now that, he's that crab, put out to That crab should have, that, that clam probably wanted an invitation to his human world. Yeah. He wanted some of the boundaries dissolved, and next thing you know, old Foster's shoving a knife right in its little clam face and ripping it open. He's an anti-clamite. Mm-hmm. Clams aren't. No one cares about clams. They... Kind of like, it's kind of like snakes and spiders. No one cares if you kill a snake or spider. Then, on day 134, Foster notices that the octopus has grown a little baby arm. Which is kind of funny, and it made me laugh seeing this little tiny baby arm wiggle around. Again, Foster believes that if an octopus can grow a new arm, then that means he can get through difficult times in his life. Right on. Put that on Pinterest. Look at the teaching that's happening here. That's why That's why the movie's called My Octopus Teacher. That's so stupid. It doesn't make sense. There's not a lot of parallel between an octopus growing back an arm and any problem a human being faces. I had... No clue that I could face adversity in my life until I befriended an octopus. Again, I want to go back to the amputee ward in the hospital and be like, hey, don't give up, octopus grows those back. (laughs) I don't think that's the point that Craig was making here. (laughs) Hey, Luke, I kind of feel like we're offending you tonight. Are we? (laughs) 
No. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, man, I don't know that maybe Luke hasn't just like hating us because he's <laughs> taking this movie a little more seriously than what we are. No, I did. I did like the movie legitimately, though. I mean, it wasn't. We'll get to that. But about 100 days later, the octopus's baby arm grows up and she's back to normal. Then, on day 271, Foster sees even deeper into her world as he witnesses her stalk and hunt a crab. And this crab crawls underneath an anemone uh, because he's a smart crab. But eventually, the crab leaves and the octopus just chases after it. And what she does is kind of amazing because the way she catches this crab is she like sneaks up behind it and then just like parachutes over it. Like her all of her legs just like trap this crab underneath her. And then we have the fun, uh, beautiful shot of the octopus just dragging the struggling crab back to her den for lunch. How does it not get pinced by the pincers? That's what I want to know. It probably does. But think about it. How less careful would you be in your life if you knew that if you lost any appendage, it'll just grow back in 100 days? True. I'd be doing it as like a party trick back when I was cooking and just be like, just make sure you're always paying attention. Just chop my finger off. Be like, ah! And then if you had eight, I mean, you a could day later, a little baby finger. You only starts, lived a year, too. I mean, you could just you could do whatever you wanted. I just remember how little my baby, my little newborn baby's fingers were. And now I'm imagining one of those little newborn baby fingers just growing out of the stump of my former <laughs> finger. <laughs> You're saying Craig is weird, and then you say stuff like that. That's why people shouldn't take your opinion. And then we learn something that makes me never want to touch an octopus. Up to this point, I was kind of like, you know what, I want to pet an octopus. But then I learned that um, they also have tiny drills on the end of their tentacles that can drill into a sea snail's shell where she can inject venom into it, which kills it, so she can eat it. How you feeling about that massage now, big guy? I decided I'm never going into the ocean again after that fact. I'm done. Ow. See, and here's the thing, though, Zach. If you build the relationship before the massage, then you're not going to get poisoned. Yeah, until the one day that she decides that uh, she doesn't want to be fondled and then she's just reaches behind right the nape of my neck and injects me and I'm dead. Why? Why? Why are you fondling an octopus? There's not another word to describe what Mr. Foster was doing this entire film. <laughs> but I was talking about you. Exactly. Oh. But behind all of this gastronomic discovery the pajama sharks are an ever-present threat. Okay. And then one day, a huge shark picks up the octopus's scent. And Foster is sure that the leg loss nightmare is going to happen to him all over again. <laughs> poor guy. He's like, man, I hope she doesn't lose another leg. That was terrible for me. I Personally, I hope that doesn't happen because I do not know how this guy would survive another psychological dismemberment. But uh, the octopus manages to wrap some kelp around her to confuse the shark. And then she shoots out the back and just just goes up on the shore. Just climbs up on a rock, which is crazy to me that they're able to do that. But uh, up on the rock, she realizes uh, Craig's problem. She needs to breathe. So she dives back into the ocean, grabs a bunch of shells, and turns herself into an armored shell ball. And the shark just goes down and bites her. And it's at this moment that Foster realizes the octopus's problem, uh, what the problem that she had just a few moments earlier, and that's the fact that he needs to breathe. So he shoots up to the surface, gets himself a breath, and dives back down. And when he gets down there, somehow the octopus has dislodged herself from the shark's mouth, and she's just hanging on the thing's dorsal fin. She's out of danger. Shark can't bite his own dorsal fin. It's a smart octopus. And then the uh, uh, shark manages to get her off his back by rubbing against some rocks. And the octopus just drops her shelves and makes her way back to her den. That was pretty fascinating to watch, I'll be honest. It's pretty cool that he got that on film. That and she's yeah. using shells as armor. That's cool. Then one day, um, Foster's watching her and notices that she's just taking some time out of her busy octopus day to play with some fish. 
She's just wiggling her arms around the fisher like, ah, octopus arms. And then they swim back and then she'd be like, here's my arms. Oh, no. And they're playing with each other. It's a lovely time. And then she gets bored playing with the fish and she just runs over and gives Foster a big hug. Like, I'm not going to lie. They did have some sort of friendship, if you can say that. There was a connection between these two. As weird as I may find relationship. it, there was a connection. Not going to say relationship. Relationship. But a connection. And that was, uh, Craig tells us that that was the last time that they had physical contact. It's day 324. The ocean is turbulent. And Foster comes down and sees another big octopus is kind of honed in on his main squeeze. (laughs) That's that's one way to say it. (laughs) He should have challenged it. Oh, here's the thing I feel about 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 Craig, because he's already gone through one divorce at this point in his life, and he's like, why do the women I love keep doing this to me? First Barbara, now this octopus, can I catch a break? (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Luke, crack a smile, that was pretty funny, pretty funny. (laughs) Well, it turns out that these two octopus are, are mating. And Foster's happy that they were mating, but he also knew that this was the beginning of the end. Because an octopus sacrifices herself to provide and protect and help her eggs reach maturity. So she starts to slowly die, but uses her body to oxygenate the eggs. And she is able to time her dying to the hatching of her young. And as much as I hate myself for admitting this, I got a little choked up here. No, don't, don't say yeah. it. Yeah. Don't say it. I did. Oh. I, I got a little choked up here. This was beautiful. You're a colossal appointment to Redneck Society. Don't, Scott, <laughs> I'm a good father, so I know you probably don't understand this, but there's... <laughs> <laughs> so I know you have no clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, no, that's, it was funny. But no, it, it was. I wasn't crying that Craig was losing his octopus girlfriend. I was crying or got choked up just because of the beauty of it. Like that, that moms are moms, no matter the species. Yeah. See, and once again, spiritual message. Scott, God loves his children I'm as well. I'm you, stop. <laughs> And died to give them life. Yeah. Right. And oxygenated us with his breathing. No. No, that was a that was an overstep in application. Oh, okay. <laughs> My bad. Then we see That was an eisegesis. Then we see hundreds of thousands of tiny octopus babies being born. Babies. And the barely alive body of their mother is washed out of the den. And scavenger fish slowly start to feed on her. And eventually a shark comes and carries her away. And Foster tells us that he sometimes visits her den and can still feel her presence. Which leads me to only one logical connect or er, conclusion. The ocean is filled with ghost octopus. <laughs> Why? Why? Why didn't he take? <laughs> why? Why didn't he take the octopus and just go bury it or something? Or it, see, this this no, I didn't well up, but this irritated me. Why? You gonna let the other fish eat on your on your your friend? And she's uh, returning to the ocean mm-hmm. and the ecosystem. And being one with nature, kind of like Craig, so he'll probably get eaten by a shark next. Oh, we can only hope. It could happen. <laughs> and as he's telling this story to us, he's getting choked up, and he explains that he misses her. But he does express the relief that he does not need to think like an octopus anymore. And I will share with you guys the image that popped into my mind when he said this. Because I imagined that when he was not in the ocean swimming with his octopus, that Craig spent most of his time in his cupboard with pots and pans glued to him, waiting for his dinner to be finished. 
When his wife finishes dinner, he just jumped out and enveloped it and drug it back to his cupboard to eat. And he did this for over a year as he was thinking like this octopus. And it made me smile. (laughs) I'm glad. (laughs) Oh, shoot. So that's what you were thinking, huh? Yeah, that's that's the thought that immediately popped into my head when he said that. He's like, this is my den. I'm an octopus now. Clank, 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 clank. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's what happened. Craig's too logical of a guy. Then one day, Craig Foster and his son find a little baby octopus. And they feel that that octopus is one of the main octopus's young. Then Craig goes on and says a bunch of sappy part of nature nonsense that I didn't pay attention to. And the movie ends with the following text. Craig Foster still dives every day, but he no longer swims alone. He has truly become one with the ocean and is the first successful gilnoplasty surgery survivor. He is truly the amphibious frogman that he dreamt of becoming and is in the process of surgically splitting his arms and legs in two and removing the bones to become even more octopus-like. He decided to identify as an asexual octopus and prefers glub-blub pronouns. (laughs) Is that... Maybe you had a different version. I think I had the Guam version of this movie. (laughs) They're not really into that here. Yeah, no, no. What it really says is... uh, Craig Foster still dies every day, but he co-founded the Sea Change Project, a group of people that take their spare pennies and just throw them at octopus. (laughs) (laughs) To save the kelp forest. The Sea Change Project, get it? Sea Change Project? (laughs) Uh, I'm a hoot! uh, Okay, Uh, no, it's a growing community of divers that is dedicated to the lifelong protection of the kelp forest. And then... We're shown an aerial shot of a large group of divers swimming around in the kelp forest, and each and every one of them have a hood on. It must be a thing. Maybe you lose too much heat outside, out of your head or something. Thankfully, the credits roll, and we're done. All right, so because this is not a faith-based movie, we're doing things a little differently. We're still using our SEP scale, but we're not giving a rating for scriptural accuracy, because you can't. Not really. So instead, uh, out of 100, we'll be doing it out of 75 this week. We'll start with entertainment value. Were you entertained by this? Scott, <laughs> go ahead and give us your rating. <laughs> hey, you, you know what? My scores, my scores are going to surprise you. There were things in this I like. <gasps> my, biggest, my biggest drawback Sorry, on this was... was <laughs> my biggest drawback on this was, though... Just the guy in the whole commentary. It was fascinating to take a look. So, the, so you basically the main part of the movie. <laughs> the main part, yeah. When this guy, when this guy talked, I just, I, it was horrible. I ran a cheese grater over my years, as I told you. I gave it a thirteen. Okay, Luke. Um, I actually really enjoyed this, and I wasn't expecting to. I, I have to admit, I love nature documentaries because I grew up. And that's what we always watched. What is your entertainment value? My entertainment value is a strong 19. No, your personal entertainment value. What do you bring to <laughs> this podcast? <laughs> what did you take points off for, Luke? I, I did feel like uh, there were a few points where it got a little slow. And there were a few points, I would say, that I was like, mm. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a little weird. <laughs> Well, uh, surprisingly, I gave it the lowest score. I gave it a 10. What? I love nature documentaries, all right? One of my favorite things to do with Joseph, we watch the um, the Disney nature docs they have on Disney+. Plus. He loves the penguin one. It's hilarious. It's narrated by Ed Helms, who, you know, was Andy on The Office. And um, it's entertaining. It's fun. And they still build a story out of it, kind of like this. And it teaches you things about nature. This was... To me, it was the equivalent of watching a grown man read his diary about how much he loved this octopus. (laughs) So with that, we move on to parental control. Anything in this movie that uh, you wouldn't want your grandma to watch? I mean, I wouldn't want my grandma to watch any of this. I mean, she's old. You know, you never know. Tomorrow's not promised. I would hate to think that this is the last thing she ever watched on Earth. 
But uh, <laughs> I gave it a 25 sec. I didn't see any. I didn't see any major issues. <laughs> okay, so yeah, Luke, would you like to? Um, I'm gonna have to dock some points for the same reasons I wasn't allowed to watch uh, Land Before Time when I was a kid because of the uh, millions and millions of years references. But he does no, make. I think t- I'd have to. Does make oh, two references true. to evolution. But uh, I'll give it a twenty. I docked at five points for that. Yeah, I probably should. I didn't even think about that. I I did think about Scott it. Scott supports and I'll be evolution. Honest with you, I don't care. Um, I gave it wow. a, a twenty-five only because here my wow. my son is fascinated with dinosaurs. Try finding a dinosaur book wow. besides the one written by Kyle Butt that does not mention evolution somewhere in it. Does that mean that he's not allowed to look at them or some of the facts in it aren't valid? No, it just means I have to have a talk with him and tell him why I don't believe in those numbers. And the same is true with this. I would let my kid watch this, and I'll let him watch Land Before Time. As long as that I have that connection with him, we can have that conversation, then we'll be fine. So I gave it a 25 too. Which leads us to our final category, should you watch it? Is there any merit to this film? Scott? I don't know. I'd be embarrassed for... I'd be embarrassed for people to know that I watched this film, to be honest with you. All my buddies <laughs> on the football team are going to make fun of me. Watch the octopus I, I would get an atomic wedgie. I, you know what? There is. There, I think it's got to be the right audience to, to watch this. So if you're a marine biologist listening to the show, go watch this, go watch this documentary. It's great. Um, now, I'm going to give it a 12.5 right in the middle because I don't know what to do with it. Okay. Call on me next. Um. Jimmy, you've been silent the whole show. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> no, I kind of wish that there was that there was a Jimmy. We've done 44 episodes, and Jimmy's just been listening silently to them all, just waiting for the day that he's called on to talk. <laughs> Luke, what are you... I, uh, what do you think? I, standing in for Jimmy, I'll read his, his opinion. No, it's okay. Just give yours. Uh, I just fired Jimmy. I, uh... I'll go with Scott's uh, 12 and a half. I felt like it's it's an okay movie. It's not really a, a nature documentary about octopus. It's no, kind it's of a, a rom-com nature docu- between one man and an octopus. It's a nature documentary about Craig. <laughs> <laughs> it's got as much about Craig in it as it's got about uh, the octopus. So um, it, it, there's definitely better nature documentaries out there that I would watch over this. Name 12. And so... Huh? <laughs> Just kidding. I, could, I could name 12 <laughs> 12 and a half and this leads us to uh me i gave zach it... would you like to give us your opinion on this movie not anymore because i feel like i went too high i gave it an oh, i'm zach I gave... I gave it an 18 i haven't got through puberty yet <laughs> you haven't had a relationship with a with a wild animal yet so have you, have not... you seen my f- not... have you seen my face there is nobody no. in the world that looks at this face and goes, oh, that's prepubescent. I look 47. <laughs> yeah, I gave it an 18. There was, I mean, if you take all the Craig stuff out, you're left with a 20-minute movie. But that 20... Oh, it would have been great. That 20-minute movie um, has a lot of interesting facts about octopus. They are fascinating creatures. If you like octopus, uh, watch this on your laptop and not on your smart TV because on your laptop, you can bump it up to one and a half speed, which makes this a lot more bearable. But I would give it an 18. Now that all of the scores have been calculated, and although I cut out most of that, keep in mind that it was like a 45-minute long conversation because doing math out of 100 out of a 75 just threw us all for a loop. Um, but the final scores are as follows. Scott gave it a, uh, 67%, meaning that he gave it a C plus. Luke gave it a 69%, meaning that it is also a C plus. And I had the highest score this week with a 71%, meaning that it got a B minus from me. All in all, the movie scored 69%, meaning that it scored a C plus so there you go and as always we use carlton university's grading scale go ravens go ravens go ravens (laughs) (laughs) next week we are getting back to our faith-based roots with the movie 
The Resurrection of Gavin Stone. What? I'm not familiar with this. The American Christian dramedy film was directed by Dallas Jenkins, which we Ooh. should be familiar with as the creator and director of the movie, or the television series Chosen. The film was released for some reason that I cannot explain by WWE Studios. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. And I looked through the cast listing. There's not a professional wrestler. I have no idea what WWE was doing with this movie. But, uh, yeah, it is that WWE. So now Scott's excited. I this, You know, I'm thinking this is going to be a good movie. WWE's involved. The synopsis is as follows. Former child star Gavin Stone is now a washed-up, partied-out man when he is forced to return home. He pretends to be a Christian so he can portray Jesus in an Easter play being produced by a megachurch. This movie sounds like a rotten or righteous movie, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Infamous star Gavin Stone became a fixture on the party scene. Dad, you in trouble? A little. What kind? Kind where you can't leave the state <laughs> until you've completed your community service hours. Hey, do you know where the uh, pastor's office is? You're Gavin Stone. You recognize me. Should I? How'd you know my name? It was printed at the top of your rap sheet. I'm Alan Richardson, pastor. Ah. Uh, so, what is it exactly that I'll be doing? I've never acted before, but I'm willing to serve the Lord in whatever way you see fit. You know, as gifted as I am with a mop, I'm ten times better on stage. We ask that all cast members... That's a wrestler. I am one. I've had the passion of the Christ for a couple years now. Is that it? No. Hi, everybody. My name is Gavin Stone. I'm auditioning for the role of Jesus Christ. Superstar. Let's just dive right in. What if you drop a single spot on me? That is the exact <laughs> opposite of what Jesus was about. Don't you pick up on that when you read the Gospels? Well, yeah, you know, when I, when I read the Gospels, I <laughs> pick up on that a little bit. Great first rehearsal. And I have some thoughts. Coffee, maybe? No, thanks. Okay. Don't sweat it. She's just under a lot of stress, especially being a PK. Pastor's kid? She's Alan's daughter. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Sorry. Wow. I figured I might as well start driving this character. Nice. Peace, Peace, Peace be to you. This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of this me. This movie's sacrilege. I don't think he gets the story. But isn't this why we do what we do? Welcome to Cars for Single Moms. Here you go. Put that on. This is the best part. Why don't you come over there? No. Didn't you know who did it? Exactly. We don't want the credit. Hashtag words I've never said to my agent. Why do you care if I stay? Because you said you would. I was rude and selfish, and you guys gave me a second chance. This is what we do. I surrender. My way didn't work. I missed out on all this. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. I think he needs us as much as we need him. I don't know how this thing you have with God works exactly, but I like what it does. We really do believe in second chances here. Excellent. I'm ready. Mm -hmm. I'm ready. The sad thing yeah, is... That one guy, Shawn Michaels, the heartbreak kid, he's a WWE wrestler, retired. Great. And so that's going to do it for Rotten or Righteous. I'm Zach Geiler. I'm Scott Judge. I'm Jimmy. <laughs> Thanks. Now I'm going to have to leave that stupid joke in. Uh, remember uh, that you can reach out to us at uh, rottenrighteous at gmail.com on Facebook Messenger at facebook.com slash rottenrighteous. Like us. Follow us. Um, if you listen to us on iTunes, give us a star. Or five. I'm not picky. Uh, but uh, thanks for your time and attention, and I hope that we opened your eyes Bye. about your octopus friends. <laughs> so with that, we're going to leave. Remember, say your prayers and obey your parents. But as I was saying, uh, last week we gave a list of real names. Well, I have a, 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 a few more of those for you. Uh, first of all, The ad campaign for Got Milk. They took that to Mexico, and uh, when they translated the slogan Got Milk into Spanish, they unfortunately translated it to read uh, in Spanish, Are You Lactating?
<laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> that was a fact about an octopus. Blah, 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 blah. Luke Taylor. I wonder if you had an octopus army. You know, if Elon Musk could design that little headpiece thing, you know, that he's using to control people's minds, you could stick it on an octopus, all the octopus in the ocean, and you could rule the world because no, they're you pretty. Because you could, you would have to attach it to his arms. Two thirds of an octopus' cognitive ability is in the arms. So even if you had a mind control on one third of the octopus, you had more than half of the octopus acting independently. Well, maybe the maybe the main brain controls the other cognitive ability. It's all connected. But it doesn't. And anyway, because you know, if I haven't you heard to, of the scientists that cut off octopus limbs, and these things still no. respond to stimulus for days after being removed from the octopus? Um, no, I have not. But if I had to, you know, I'm sure Elon could just get me like eight brain stimulation things and then i'd attach one to each arm and then you'd be able to all the octopus would crawl out of the water because they are later on we see that that happens and then uh they would all crawl to the white house and i could take over and then uh, rule the world through octopi power is the only reason why i could get that comment in because he froze i guess <laughs> that's it <laughs> John Brady back. he's going we need Luke because without him, it's not going to be a decent grade, I don't think. Kill, 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 kill. Luke, 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 Luke. Kill, 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 kill. <laughs> <laughs> that actually should be in the, in the, in the episode. <laughs>